Bet365 sponsors this podcast and features over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you'll ever need to bet on sport. The app lets you access pre-match and in-play markets and provides instant match updates. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sports betting company. This app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only and please gamble responsibly. Welcome to 1874, the podcast that brings you the definitive word on Carabao Cup finalist Aston Villa every single week. Now, I don't know whether you can tell by my voice, but I've been lay low with the plague all week. I was so ill I couldn't make it into the podcast studio, and in my absence, we needed someone to fill in, and Greg, being the trooper that he is, he's pulled off a big one. In 2010, Villa's left-back was Stephen Warnock, the last time Villa made the League Cup final, and Greg's managed to sit down and have a chat with him to discuss a range of topics, including Jack Grealish and the battle for the drop. But there's only one place to start, that 2010 final. If you're anything like me, you're still very, very bitter about the occasion and still haven't forgiven Phil Dowd. So that's where Greg's starting. Here's what Stephen Warnock thought of that absolutely atrocious piece of referee. Yeah, he should have been sent off. And did we recover from that decision? I don't think we probably did. Um, because when you when you suddenly you, a player should be sent off and you've gone 1-0 up and you're thinking... This is our opportunity to, to push on now and to really cause United problems. And United, obviously, they've been in that situation before in a cup final. It was our first time. Uh, the occasion probably got a little bit too much for us at times. And um, yeah, it was, it's disappointing when you think back on it. If it had been at the other end and it would have been either Dunny or James Collins, I think the decision would have been different. Yeah, what what was the feeling on the pitch when that happened? Because obviously you got the you got the early goal to put your head. Was it was it one of frustration because of the incident, or you know joy and elation because of the because of going ahead so early on? A bit of both. Uh, I was probably thinking as well. Fast forward to twenty twenty and bring VAR in. He'd have definitely gone then, <laughs> wouldn't he? <laughs> as much as I hate it, I'd have loved it in that final. Um, but no, I, I think it's one of them where you again you are you thinking. Brilliant, we've gone 1-0 up. But then in the back of your mind, you're thinking, but he should have gone. I think when you see the incident again, I've watched it back, the amount of players that run round filled out and say, well, you're not sending him off because you know the importance of it. When you're in a cup final and you're playing against 10 men, especially against United as well, it's completely different to playing against 11. And, and the quality that we had in our squad that day, uh, in the team, the wide players, I think we'd have we'd have caused them all kinds of problems. Yeah, and obviously Owen levels up, Rooney comes off the bench, gets the winner. Can, I mean, can you just explain, how, you, you touched on it there, but just explain how tough it is to, or it was to play against Man United teams around that time. The, you just know the dominance that they're going to have in, late on in the game. I think there's a belief that they know they've got quality in their team and they just grind you down. Um, they just keep on working at you. They keep on, they never sort of, they never worry about, and this is what great teams do, they never worry about being behind or they never worry about um, not playing well they they believe in the process of what, what's made them a good team and I just think that was the, the case on the day I think uh, once we conceded the first goal a worry crept into our mind whereas we should have just thought well we're still level we're still capable of winning the game whereas United just jumped on that um, on that goal and, and smothered us after that and made it very difficult for us. Because, oh, I mean, it was a really talented team, wasn't it? You were a part of a really strong bunch at Villa at that point. I mean, there must be a feeling of disappointment, maybe, just that you weren't able to win a trophy that year? Oh, 100%. I mean, we were challenging for the Champions League spots. We fell away from that. 
uh, right at the end of the season, sort of end of April time. Um, and But to make it into a, a League Cup final and then the semi-final as well in the FA Cup, we, we, were, we were a team that were capable. I think if it had come at earlier on in the season, I think we just died a bit. Our legs had gone a little bit uh, fatigued uh, because we'd used pretty much the same team. I think we only changed players, one or two players, uh, every now and again within the squad, uh, within the f- uh, starting lineup. So the games probably took the toll on us um, towards the end of the season. But we knew we were more than capable of beating teams. So, I mean, you think of Ashley Young, Stuart Downing, Abondahore, Carew, Heskey. I mean, the Milner, you're looking at them players and there's creativity all over the pitch. Um, and then we had a solid backline. I think that season we were second best defence in the league. Um, so we knew we had the capability of shut, shutting teams out as well. So we had all the, all the skills in our armoury, but it just wasn't to be. But I always look back at it as one of the biggest regrets of my career where it, like you just think oh, really? if we'd have won that, oh, of course, yeah, you don't reach many F, uh, cup finals and you don't get, there's many players in the careers who are better than me that don't get to play in cup finals. To walk up and win a, win a medal uh, in a cup final would have just been the, the best feeling ever. You touched on there the squad being quite stretched. I seem to recall O'Neill largely sticking with the same sort of nine or ten players most games, wasn't it? And then he only really rotated Carew and Heskey. Was that, yeah. It must have been quite a surprise, really, to because it just doesn't happen now, does it? The rotation is so much more you know, obvious. No, it was a bit of a running joke in the changing room. Like Martin O'Neill <laughs> used to walk in with it. Yeah, he used to walk in with a piece of paper. And uh, he used to just pull his glasses down to the tip of his nose and he'd look at the paper and he'd look back up and he'd go, same team, same subs. And you think, what? what's he written on that piece of paper? <laughs> so, yeah, that was always... Yeah, I, I think that was what the lads knew. Uh, unless there was an injury picked up by someone or there was a severe loss of form, you knew you were, you were going to be playing. Even if you have one or two bad games, he wasn't going to drop you. It'd be after five or six... There was just that feeling that it was great if you were playing, but I, I think that the season we were having, it was very difficult to drop anyone because we were winning more than we were losing. Um, we didn't draw many games as well, so we were always a competitive team. And I think that was something that he didn't want to change as well. So you could understand why he didn't change it often. Um, but we had, a, we had a strong bench as well. And I think the lads who were coming off the bench were so instrumental in the season that we were having, the impact that they'd make off the bench, or like you say, if if Carew and Heskey changed, the impact they'd have coming onto that game would be very strong, or starting that game as well, would always be strong. So the formula worked in a way. Sure, sure. And, and the Champions League really wasn't far off. I think I made, I made it 17 points that you dropped from the 12 games after the cup final. I mean, what, was, there any, was there a bit of a hangover there? Could, can you remember how you felt at the time? And, 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 and would it have been a fair reward for that team to finish in the Champions League positions? I think it would have been a fair reward. Um, I think, again, I think it was fatigue. I think it was, without being harsh on the manager, I think... The way we trained probably wasn't, I think it was, we were always going to blow up in March, April time. Um, we we sort of ticked over in training. We didn't often do hard sessions, which was what I was used to coming from uh, from Blackburn. We'd always have like a pre-season day on a Tuesday and you'd always know that it was going to be a hard day. We never had that at Villa. It was almost just ticking over and it was the old style sort of management from uh, from Brian Clough uh, that Martin O'Neill continued to use. And that was probably why in the end we, we suffered a little bit. 
Um, and that, that probably was the the hangover from the effort uh, from the Carlin, uh, well, Carlin Cup final now, where you do think what what could have been. Um, but we still made it into the FA Cup final, uh, semi final as well on the on the way. Yeah. So we were still producing moment moments of quality. Um, but yeah, I think we just blew up towards the end of the season. And again, that's a, that's another regret that we all have. I mean, without digging out O'Neill too much, do you think maybe with a more modern or even a different manager that that team would have gone on to do better things in that season? No, because I think the players in and around the squad thrived off Martin's um, trust in them. So the likes of Ashley Young and Gabby Abbon-Lahore, what they were doing in training or the way they were uh, in games... They wouldn't have got away with it with another manager. Martin loved them, and rightly so. They loved him because they knew that he was bringing the best out in them as well. There was probably a bit of a, a split in the camp where some of the players loved him and, and understood what he was about. I think there was other players that wanted more tactical work, wanted more fitness work. It's very difficult to find a manager that can bring everything that makes every single player happy within the squad. Um, so, no, I, I, don't think, I don't think there would have been... Uh, that side of it, I think Martin's management of players uh, on the whole, for the for the key players anyway, was was critical um, to the way they played. I think if you'd have had a number two or someone else behind the scenes who would have done more tactical work or more fitness work, maybe that would have been the great balance that was needed. Do you like beer? Do you like free? How about you guessed it, free beer? As a valued listener, we'd like to bestow upon you just that. Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com slash 1874 and cover just the postage of £4.95. You've got to pay the poster. And as if that wasn't enough, as a listener of 1874, you'll get two extra free beers. So that's 10 free beers overall. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries planet Earth has to offer. No surprise then that they're the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 delivers a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand and many more. But they haven't forgotten their roots. And as an independent UK company, Beer 52 are passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave any time. The power's in your hands. As well as the best, most interesting beer money can buy, your case will include the award-winning craft beer magazine, Ferment, which explains the theme and individual beers you'll receive, and a beery snack is thrown in as well just to top it all off. Don't like dark beers? Choose the like plan. Easy. Just go to www.beer52.com slash 1874 to get your case free. And don't forget, right now, 1874 listeners get two free extra beers. Just going back to your season in particular, it was it was a good year for you, wasn't, wasn't it? You had the World Cup, obviously, in South Africa um, at the end of that season. Comparing it to, say, Jack Grealish, for example, he'll be looking at getting into this Euro squad for the summer. When you play for Aston Villa, do you think that getting to finals in tournaments and then going on to win competitions helps you get noticed ahead of players you know at the real top clubs the thing for me when I joined when I was at Blackburn I'd made it into uh, a few England squads and I remember sitting down with Capello at one point and he just said to me if you want to be part of the World Cup squad and you want to go to the World Cup you need to go to a big club and Aston Villa at the time were, were challenging for Champions League football uh, they were deemed one of the top four if not to our top six clubs so I knew it was a, a, a 
something that I had to do. So with Jack now, I think with all due respect to the way Villa are now, they're not that top six club. So I I just felt I had to make that move to Villa um, to, to progress through the England squad as well. And that helped me massively. And, and it was something that was advised to me by the manager. I don't think Jack has that problem though. Um, although Villa aren't deemed as a top six club at the moment with the standings in the league, Jack's shown he's more than capable uh, in the Premier League of producing the goods. Um, it's often harder to do it in a uh, in a team that's struggling down the bottom end of the league. And Jack's been producing week in week out, and he's been highlighted as that player as well. Uh, everyone knows that if you stop Jack Grealish, you're going to stop Aston Villa. And he still haven't stopped him, so it shows his quality and what he's got, what what he's about. And a big thing for Jack is is that there's competition for places in that position. When you're thinking of James Madison, uh, Ross Barkley, who's someone that Gareth Southgate really likes uh, and has done well for England when he's played for them, then it's very difficult for for Gareth to sort of change his opinion and say, right, let's bring Jack in and, and use him. Um, I do think he'll get a call up, and I think he'll prove his quality and. I'm, I'm desperate for him to get in that Euro squad because I, I just think he can be a different type of player that England don't have. The way he carries the ball and uh, technically, I think he's superb. Yeah, we all, we all are too. We've been saying this on the podcast every week, but obviously Jack's going to be instrumental to Villa's chances against Man City as well, isn't he? He's got to really pull something out of the bag to help his team, hasn't he? Yeah, he does. Um, my biggest thing with Jack is, is I don't know his best position and I think that's sometimes what hurts him with the England setup. Whether you play him on that left-hand side and he has the capability to sort of hug the line or run inside, but I still think the number 10 position would suit him more, but it's not the system that Dean Smith likes to play. I don't think it suits him playing deeper in the midfield as a two or a three because when he sits in there, he does all his work at the wrong end of the pitch and it it doesn't help Villa. Uh, You need Jack being that guy who can play the killer pass or can actually score the goal himself. But he's going to be instrumental uh, in the game against Manchester City. City will know he's the danger as well. And again, you, you look at Guardiola's tactics, his tactics will probably be to stop the ball finding Jack Grealish to not let him get you in 1v1 situations, which was the case at the Etihad um, earlier on in the season. So what Jack's got now, though, is he's got respect. He's got people looking out for him. He knows that people are trying to uh, stop him. Now he's got to up his game and carry on continuing to perform at a high level and prove that even if you do try and man-mark him or you do try and take him out of the game, he finds ways to get on the ball. And I think he's been doing that. Sure, and, and you know, without sounding like I'm trying to move him on from Villa and onto bigger and better things, do you, do you actually think he would still look better in a team with better quality players around him, whether that be the England team or one of the better teams in the Premier League? Yeah, I think he'd thrive at England. I think being in and around the squad um, would make him... Uh, a better player. I think he'd he'd look even better than he does at the moment with Villa, and that's that's a, something that you have to take into consideration when you're a player as well. When you step into that environment and you see your levels lift, and you're playing with better players because you're playing with the the best of English football, then you think, well, what would it be like if I went to a bigger club and I'm playing with the world's best players, not just only in England but better players in world football? How good would that make me? Um, what would it be like working for a, a world-class manager? Would my game, again, elevate? Would it get better? I, I do think it would. 
I think Jack could only get better and better the higher he plays because he sees things that players don't see now. He can execute things, runs that people would make for him at a higher level. And I think it would make him look a better player. I don't want to see Jack leave Aston Villa um, because I know what it means to him playing for the club and what the fans think of Jack Grealish. But he's only got one career. Um, if Jack wants to win trophies and he wants to play with the best players in the world, then sadly, he might have to leave the club. It's going to be a difficult one, I think, in the summer, especially, well, yeah, if the club gets relegated, we all know what's going to happen. But, um, you know, if Villa survive, then it's going to be a big decision for him. 1874, an Aston Villa podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic. Fill in a style quiz and tell us about your personal style, budget, size and shape and your clothing needs and wants. A personal stylist will then send you five items of clothing, each handpicked especially for you from their selection of 100 brands, including established names and up and coming designers. Try on everything at home and style with other items in your wardrobe. You can then pay for what you love and send back the rest. For your stylist time, you pay a charge of just £10, which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. Remember, you try before you buy. Delivery and returns are free both ways and you don't need a subscription to sign up. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now. That's S-T-I tchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic. Thanks very much. Just going back to the to the game, Stephen. If if Fulham do manage to pull off a you know an incredible surprise and win against uh, Manchester City at Wembley, do you think that will have an impact on their relegation battle? And conversely, um, you know if it's a, if it's a horrible defeat, can that also go against them as well in the league? Yeah, I mean that's always the biggest worry when you you look at. Birmingham when they won the League Cup and you're thinking, will that have an effect on their league form? Will it make them more confident and go on and stay up? And they couldn't do it that year. Um, I, I always think games breed, winning games breed confidence. Winning a trophy will breed confidence within to the squad. Could there almost be an overconfidence? I think that's one of the other concerns as well. But I do think... Um, I worry that if they're on the end of a heavy defeat, how much it will affect the, the rest of the season because no one wants that in a, in a final as well. But in a way, you've got to put that out of your mind. You can't think of that one game is going to relegate you if you lose it heavily or if you lose it at all. So that's, again, it's down to the, the players, the management, the staff in and around the club. Whichever way the game goes, they they have to build confidence and uh, and, and take I mean, you've got how many how many games left in the season? Twelve games left, so you've got plenty of time to to rack up points and and stay within the league anyway. What do you make of the of the relegation battle at the moment? And who are the three teams that you really fear for? Yeah, Norwich are definitely gone for me. Um, and then you you're looking at, I, I think West Ham are in big trouble. Um, you look at the games that West Ham have got coming up and you think it's going to be a, a real big task for them to stay in the league. Uh, I know they played well against Liverpool the other night, but again, they didn't really have much to lose in the game. They could just go out and attack it. Um, I just It's very difficult to call, isn't it? I look at Watford <laughs> and I think... The, the, the only reason I look at Watford and think that they could stay up is I know they've hit a bit of a rocky patch at the moment, but they're the only team in the bottom four or five who've put an unbeaten run of eight games together. Yeah. So there's a capability within the squad. They're, they're more than capable. I think that's what 
have been in relegation battles before, and that's the worry. Why are we suddenly going to go on an unbeaten run of six, seven games? We haven't done it yet, so why do we suddenly think we're going to do it? And that's very difficult to get into your, your mind and your, your focus, whereas Watford have that. They've got that now in them, so they know they're capable of doing it. Um, my, my biggest concern for Villa is goals. I, I just look mm. at the, the squad and I just think... Not enough strikers, Jack, is there? No, and, and not enough strikers who are scoring goals. Um, Wesley's been disappointing, hasn't really done enough from what I've seen of him for uh, um, Samata. I've saw, I saw him play uh, against Liverpool earlier on the Champions League and I thought he's, he's a good player. Um, yeah. But is he going to score you the goals that are going to keep you in the league? And it's difficult when, when your, your team's not creating that many chances. So... Um, I think Villa will stay up though, just by the scruff of the neck. I do. I'm not, too, I'm not too convinced. You're not, I'm not too you're convinced. Not convinced. I'm starting to, no, I'm starting to worry about them badly because it's just all stacking up against them from from what I'm looking at. They yeah. they're the only team in the league that can't that haven't been able to beat any of the the top teams. I think you know they haven't beaten a top eight or nine team. I know. I know. I know it's, I know it's really concern, difficult. But you want to beat the teams in and around you. That's the big thing for me. I is know, but they've, the... they've played against them all. That's the only. I know. That's, the only that's worry. the worry, isn't it? I just fear for them, but I also think Brighton as well. I feel that. <laughs> yeah. Well, Brighton's for Brighton for me are ones where everyone talks about this lovely style of football and. Oh, they're pleasing on the eye, but they're not winning games. They're not. I mean, they've got three points out of the last three games or three draws in the last three games, I think it is. But again, I'd fancy beating Brighton. I'd fancy them to, to not win games because I don't think that the style of football that they're playing, I don't think, say if it went for the last game of the season, and this is my concern a little bit about Villa, is if you needed to get a point on the last day of the season, how would you play the game? If you were Brighton and Aston Villa... So if you were Brighton, would you have, if you had the option, would you rather have Potter as manager or would you take back Chris Hutton for a game? Because <laughs> you know it's going to be solid. <laughs> exactly, yeah. because you're thinking yeah. he's going to be solid, he's going to be organised. And that's my worry about like Dean Smith and, and, and Potter as well, Graham Potter, is that do they have that in them to say, no, we're going to change the way we're going to play today and we're going to be more solid. We're going to turn them behind and we're going to make it difficult and we're going to be... I don't know whether they've both got that in them. So that's my concern is that when it comes to the last few games and you're desperate to grind out a couple of results, have they got it in them? The other one who's, who's exactly the same and they play the same style of football is Bournemouth. Bournemouth mm. are so flaky and, and you can get in and around them and cause them problems. I think Bournemouth are in massive trouble as well. Interestingly, Villa versus West Ham at West Ham is the last game of the season. So... It's probably going to be something riding on that, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's um, and that's not a bad thing. You know what's in in your hands and it's in your destiny. That's where it does become. Again, who wants it more? Um, the tactical side will definitely come into it. How you prepare yourself from that? But a one-off game, I think, if you'd give most fans that at the beginning of the season, I think they'd have probably taken it and said, okay, if it goes down to the last game and that's our opportunity to stay up in a one-off, we'd have to take it against West Ham. Got to win it though, haven't they? If they lose, they wouldn't have taken it, but... <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good point, yeah. But you know what I mean. No, but if, if, it, if it relegates one of you, it's different if you're playing Manchester City or Liverpool and you're having to win to stay up. But when you're playing, if it's one or the other and you're going down, both teams aren't going to be in great form. They're going to be nervous going into the game. So, of course. yeah. Mm. Okay, Stephen, just finally, what's your uh, prediction for the game then? I'm probably, sadly, going to have to go for a City victory. I just think with the quality that they've got, 
Um, I think hopefully they they have a difficult night against Real Madrid and they pick up a, a couple of knocks who can't play in the game and it gives Villa a better chance. But I, I still think uh, City will just have too much. Um, but hopefully I'm proved wrong. Well, that's the last time we're getting you on this podcast. So. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I apologise. Cheers, have you, David. Have you given me your prediction yet? 3-0 to Man City, so maybe I'll be sad too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, OK. Cheers, mate. Nice Perfect. one, thanks. All right. Thanks very much.